0: Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip and we'll also be talking with Christina about our Minute on Innovation. But right now we're going to have a chat with James Patterson who's the author of a book, Disruptive Impact. And we're going to talk about the effects on business. Good afternoon, James.
1: Good afternoon, Julian.
0: Thank you for joining us. So I suppose the first question is, uh, what was the catalyst for writing a book about disruption?
1: Well, (laughs) disruption is one of those things that we're all, especially in small business, we're all having to come to terms with and try to understand and find out how we can assimilate, you know, disruption and also change because we're all being confronted by it. Mm. And... My own background is in a lot of business sectors, and over the years, I have been involved in businesses that have capitalised on disruption, and also I've been smashed to pieces by a disruptive event. So I started to look at this from a bigger perspective and how people are handling it and how businesses are coming to terms with it, and thought, well, maybe it's time to sort of try and distill and get a better, deeper understanding of what disruption is, what it's going to likely do in the future, and how, and as we as business people can manage it.
0: And certainly, throughout the book, you've you've talked a lot about personal perspective and and some of those successes you've had and the horrible failures.
1: Yes, I feel something like disruption because disruption. Everyone sees it differently. Some of it, some people welcome it; they see it as an amazing opportunity. Other people are very scared and afraid of it. So I wanted to rather than it be a a cold sort of observatory process. I felt that it was important that people understood that there's a human face to disruption and a personal experience. You can't get it much more human than that.
0: Of course, of course. So, So looking back over these events, what do you believe is the difference between a disruptive success or disruptive failure?
1: You know and this has come out of forty years and living in this space, and also as part of uh, researching the book, I did a number of interviews across um, business sectors talking to business leaders to get a perspective greater than my own and The one thing that came to the fore in all cases is attitude mm. it's how you how you perceive what you're being confronted by, whether you see it from a situation that it's going to attack you and you need to protect yourself, or whether you see this as something that's going to create some change and we have to come to terms with it, or whether this is an disruptive opportunity that we can capitalise on and leverage. And I believe that that is the, it's the perspective or your attitude when you actually find yourself in this position where you're confronting a disruptive event.
0: Well, well, bring it in to perhaps the more present time now, uh, in your book you talk about the greening of the grid and describing the South Australian generation uh, transition process or experiment as, you, uh, as a highly disruptive process. If I understand your premise correctly, you argue that any disruptive event has a cost. It's more a case of whether or not you're ready to pay the price. Would that be a correct interpretation of your argument there?
1: It would. The reason I use the South Australian situation because it is a live, real experiment, and it's taking place on a, you know, a statewide and now ramifications with a national scale, and it's something that is topical. But the critical thing, and why I included this specific disruptive event, is it's a work in progress. Mm. We don't know why, what the outcome is going to be. We have seen. The steps where people have taken action to create it, we have seen some of the ramifications starting to flow through, and that's as far as we're at. We don't know what's going to happen in six months, 12 months, 24 months' time with the scenario. If you like, the South Australian focus on greening the grid, and I use that term sort of as a loose term, because... It's far more than just taking carbon out of the situation. Mm. It's a whole change in the way we use energy. And South Australia, not just within Australia, but on a global scale, the South Australian experiment, and that's what it is, is literally the canary in the coal mine. It's going to set the standard of how you should do it, how you shouldn't do it, or where the compromise is.
0: So, so again, another event that's happening. It it seems that in some cases we have ample warning of that disruption um, and other times there's almost no warning. And there's a good example It was on the TV last night. The bike-sharing craze that's sweeping across the world and has recently arrived here in Australia would be basically a a no-warning event. Where do you see this craze heading from a disruptive perspective?
1: That one is just so... So bizarre, really. For, firstly, it came out of China. To date, most of the major disruption that we have sort of lived through in the last, last sort of hundred years has either come out of Europe or out of the States. Um, there's been a little bit of additional stuff coming out of a place like Japan, but this is the first global event coming out, started embryonic, out of China, mm. and that makes it significant which shows a lot about where they are and, you know, where they see themselves going in this space, the entrepreneurial disruptor space. The bike craze is likely to disappear even before it gets established. Mm. It is only just over two years old. It's in 97 countries. Wow. Um, there's something like, you know, we're, we're talking nearly 200 million bikes across the planet have arrived in this model, in less than 24 months.
0: Mm. Half of them <laughs> ended up in trees and rivers. <laughs>
1: and literally, within the model, there's no legislation. They don't know how to legislate it. They don't know how to control it. But yeah. Within the model, there's two models. There's one where you have the bikes where you take them from a rack and you return them to a rack. The other one, and the one that's causing the greatest problem, is you find the bikes with a GPS. And those bikes are just dropped anywhere. You just go online, find an app, look at the app, It sees where you are, sees where the nearest bike's parked, you just go and get it, you put in the code into the app and it unlocks the bike and off you go. And when you get to the other end, you just drop it wherever.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, certainly causing some disruption there, isn't
1: it? Then we're not geared to people just to dump stuff on the streets.
0: No, no.
1: Especially not bikes.
0: Yeah. It was was certainly a good example of why things just... Come upon us, isn't it? So uh, certainly, throughout your book, you've talked about the big rise in technology and the way impact that's having, and uh, it's certainly having a both positive and negative effect on various industries.
1: It is, and really, what's going on here? And there's a trilogy of events, and this is what's brought it all to the fore of making it so hard. Disruption. We have digitisation on one hand, we have globalisation on the other and now now married together with technology.
0: Mm.
1: Well, and great. that is really what is driving this.
0: Well, great. Thank you very much for your time and, and helping us have a look at that disruptive impact. And we'll probably have a chat with you again another time.
1: Thank you very much, Julian.
0: Thank you, Pat James. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: James Patterson there with the author of Disruptive Impact. And if you want to find out more, he does have a website, www.disruptiveimpact.com.au. Time to pop over and have our chat on innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today?
0: I'm well, thank you. Um, We're going to talk about where technology is taking health.
2: Yes, and isn't it taking health into some amazing areas? So there have been, and it's been a week for it for me, um, just reading about where technology is taking health. Um, One thing that came across uh, my computer screen, I was going to say my desk, but that's, or I suppose the computer screen sits on the desk. Yes, these days. uh, yeah, it does. So, they're, um, they're coming up with ways of diagnosing pancreatic cancer. Now, pancreatic cancer doesn't get a lot of funding. Uh, it is one of the um, main cancers that affect um, males. But what they're, what, or, and females actually, and it's quite a dangerous, it's quite a dangerous um, cancer. It's very fast moving. The diet, the, you know, the long term survival rates aren't great. However, what they're doing is they're, to, to um, encourage early diagnosis. Is that there's a there's a technology that's being developed, an app that can screen for pancreatic cancer. Um, it's coming out of the University of Washington, and all it involves is taking a selfie. So there's a a cut, a cut edge like you know the the 3D glasses that you wear when you mm. go to the, um, to the the cinema. Yeah. So you you set the phone um, in that it takes a photo of you take a, a photo of your eyes. There's an app that's attached to it. If the levels of jaundice, if the colour's not quite right in your eyes, it will give you an alert that you really do need to go and get it checked out. So they did a study of about 70 people, um, and the success rate of the app was about 90%. So it, it has the same accuracy as the blood test that they're currently using, but this is one of those things that could be used as a, as a, um, di- or a, not a, it's not a diagnostic tool. It's a screening tool. It, there's a very important difference there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like doing the, a breast examination, you know, or, or having a, um, a colonoscopy or doing some of those bowel, bowel tests. It becomes something that becomes a, a really good tool for prevention. So I thought that was quite interesting. I know we've spoken about, um, throat scope quite a bit. So, ThroatScope is on a mission to to make early detection of oral cancers, um, detect them much earlier. There's something like 1,250 new cases of oral cancer in Australia, uh, and I'm pretty sure we've discussed this before, but they want to use the ThroatScope, a mirror, and a little swabbing kit and an app that they're developing to be, be, as a, be an early warning sign for oral cancer, and which is, you know, it's just mm-hmm. on the rise that people with oral cancer are getting younger and younger. Um, and it's that light source that comes from the throat scope m- module that, that makes the detection a lot easier. Um, mm. There was another another thing in diabetes. So they're making massive leaps and bounds in, in um, not being so invasive with diabetic detection or, or glucose monitoring. They've got contact lenses or they're working on contact lenses. There's a, a pharmaceutical company that's working on contact lenses in um, association with, with Google and they're wanting to do is use the tears that come out of the, of the eyes because you know there's tears coming out of the eyes all the time but they're looking to make um, lenses that um, that will detect what's happening with monitoring blood glucose levels in the in the body just through the tears in the eyes so no longer do we have to maybe shove needles do pinpricks all that kind of thing um the other thing that is working really well are the patches so people are getting patches implanted there's a there's a whole series of tests being done on the implant. Um, and it will, their slow release of glucose rather than actually doing the, the glucose injections, you know, rather than, than doing the insulin injections, sorry. So, remarkable headway, um, mm. in early detection, screening, etc. Of
0: medical conditions with technology, it's a great uh, way to see innovation going that way for self. I say self-diagnose, self-detection, as you say, because uh, you know many of us, especially men, don't like going to the doctors. And if uh, we can That's sort right. of um, catch some of these uh, illnesses, diseases quicker, um, as you say, there's a much better chance of uh, survival rate.
2: That's right, you know, not and, and the effect that, that things like cancers and that and diabetes have on families, you know, and the, the sad thing is that younger and younger, people are getting detected mm. with, with cancers, with things like diabetes. I mean, people once thought that you know, if you were going to have, it was either that you were born with diabetes or that you would, you know, develop it later mm. on in life. You know, there's teenagers that are now developing and, it, you know, we, we could sit here and talk about the whole effect of diet and, and wonder maybe why that's happening or not. Um, but it's the, it's the whole scheme of where medicine can go. And it, it brings me back all the time to Tom Kelly's quote that said, how do we use technology um, for the benefit of humanity? Not just because we want to do way out crazy things, but how do we do it so that we live better, more productive, you know, healthier, stronger lives?
0: Very innovative. Well, thank you very much for your time. We'll have a chat again next week.
2: We will. I look forward to it, Gillian. Have a great week.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Gerakati is there with Where's Technology Taking Health? It's certainly great to do some of these uh, early examinations uh, that we can uh, at least go and see a doctor afterwards. Got time for a Harvard Business Review tip. This one here is Use Mind Mapping to Spark New Ideas. Like brainstorming, mind mapping helps teams come up with ideas quickly when starting from scratch. It lets people think associatively and visually to develop a constellation of interconnected ideas. Your team can generate more connections between ideas using mind mapping than by brainstorming or simply listing ideas. Start by writing a keyword or concept relevant to the situation at hand in the centre of a blank page or whiteboard and then have your team as free associate by adding words that relate to the original concept. Don't evaluate or judge any ideas. Even the most outlandish words or phrases can generate fresh thinking. Connect your ideas by drawing lines between them. Encourage your team to use colours to indicate action items ideas doubts and other factors and you'll end up with a visual mind map which is a messy web of related concepts then have the team discuss it so everyone understands each other's viewpoints and what comes next we've got time for one more tip here this one's an easy one too don't be fooled by a first impression when hiring you know, sometimes we hire the wrong person. Disastrous hires can happen when managers are fooled by first impressions. But how can you get beyond that superficial during the brief interview? The key is to focus on behaviours rather than traits. For example, if the interviewee describes themselves as a team player, do they credit others with uh, when they're discussing their work? Look beyond what the candidate is saying and focus on how. They are saying it. Watch for nonverbal clues, the signal contempt, superiority and disrespect, eye contact when speaking to another person, but not when listening to them or invading another space. Another telling question, ask them to describe their least preferred co-worker. Listen for whether they reduce that person to a one-word label like difficult or micromanager, or reveal a more complex view of the situation, such as we disagreed about how to get the job done because we were trained in different ways. So often that first impression, very hard to get past, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the uh, disruptive impact with James Patterson and his book on that subject and where health is taking us. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have uh, a chat with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants in the tax world there. We'll chat about uh, innovation with Christina and have more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company for Business the Law and you at the same time again next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Steve Jobs once said, you have to be burning with an idea or a problem or a wrong that you want to write. If you're not passionate enough from the start, you'll never stick it out.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, wellbeing, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.